Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode. Today, we're looking at how to create an enticing resume. Now, this isn't just any resume. This isn't a resume for a different teaching position. This is a resume for some type of a career outside of the classroom. Once you've decided that you want to leave the classroom, the first big question you're going to ask is, okay, what career am I going to pursue? Well, there are two different ways you can go. I call these the employee route or the entrepreneur route. When I refer to the entrepreneur route, what I'm talking about is you going into business for yourself. Maybe you want to start a website, a boutique, a virtual assistant business, an online tutoring business, a photography business, or even a TPT shop. The career, honestly, is pretty irrelevant. The important thing to note is that as an entrepreneur, you're going into business for yourself. Now, on the other hand, when I talk about the employee route, I'm referring to you choosing to work for another individual or a company. And again, we're really less concerned about who hires you and more interested in how to get you hired for that job of your dreams. So in today's episode, we're going to focus on the employee route and how writing a teacher career change resume will help you land some of the best jobs for teachers outside of the classroom. Now, the cool part about what I'm sharing is that these tips will actually help you in getting hired for any position. But what we're going to do is we're going to spend the majority of our time unpacking some of the specifics you might not have considered when you began thinking about landing that job outside of the classroom. So if you're ready... Let's do it. Welcome to the Classroom Exit Strategies podcast, a podcast for teachers who are thinking about leaving the classroom or starting a side hustle to grow into a self-sustaining business. My name is Jennifer Holt, and I'm here to provide you with strategic action steps designed to help you leave the classroom on your terms. So let's get started talking about the 15 things you need to do to design a winning teacher career change resume. Number one, write specifically. Everyone has a resume, but there's a lot of difference between what I call a leaving teaching resume that includes all of your teaching experience and literally nothing else, and a well-planned, well-executed, specific resume. Think about it like this. There are dollar store pins, and then there are flare pins. I rest my case. The whole point of writing a resume is to give as much relevant information as possible in as little space as possible. So you want your transition out of teaching resume to be unique and a nice reflection of you while still being completely tailored to the position for which you are applying. In other words, your resume should not be generic. I know this is going to feel really frustrating when you're applying for a lot of positions at one time, but I promise it will pay off in the long run. You definitely want your resume to reflect specifics of the field and position into which you want to move. If you want strategic help in writing your resume, I can do that. You can find the link in the description below. Number two, research transferable skills. Be sure to listen to episode number five, where we discuss the top transferable skills that teachers possess that really already makes you a prime candidate for any job you want. You want to think about what types of skills you have that apply to the particular field you're interested in. The most important part about this is remembering that each field of study and each niche has its own language. So you want to take time to figure out which transferable skills are your strengths and then train Translate those into the niche-specific buzzwords that a particular community uses. 
Then add those words onto your resume so the application board knows you have the skills they are seeking. Number three, use niche-specific language. As I already alluded to in tip two, you want to make sure that you speak the language of the people in your potential career. Most professions actually have a lingo, and you want to make sure you know that lingo and you use it. Think about teaching. We use words and acronyms like social-emotional learning, or SEL, individualized education plan, IEP, and Curriculum-Based Assessment, or CBA. If you stomped people on the street and asked them what these acronyms meant, most probably wouldn't have any idea. But if you're a new teacher wanting to get hired, these acronyms are super important for you to know. This same rule applies to other fields. If you want to break into a community or niche outside of the world of education, you need to learn the lingo. And the best way to do this is by using Google. Just type in common acronyms for, and then simply fill in the blank of the field you're pursuing. Once you understand the common acronyms for that field, use those to compare to the transferable skills you already possess and see which ones are similar. Then research the buzzwords in the niche of the job you hope to pursue to find even more gold to add to your teacher career change resume. Number four, be prepared. You would think this would be supremely obvious, but according to my husband, who does interviews regularly for his job, the number of individuals who come to interviews completely unprepared is truly staggering. So after researching the lingo, including the buzzwords and acronyms of your potential profession, make sure you research the specific position you hope to get as well as the company you want to join. Make certain that your career goals align with the motto and beliefs of this particular company. You don't want to go through the trouble of getting an interview, being offered the position, working for one day, only to realize you don't agree or align with the company's position on an important issue. So once you determine you are a good fit for the company, take some time to look online for interview questions related to your chosen field and formulate answers as a way to prepare for the questions you might be asked in an interview. This will instill confidence in you and help you get into the mindset of someone who already has the position before you ever walk through the door of the interview. Number five, reach out to someone at the company. If you want to be prepared for a potential interview, then you need to know about the company and also the workers there. You can actually call the company and ask if you could speak with someone in the department to which you're applying, or you can ask to speak to the person who might be your supervisor and then ask about the position. Be respectful of the supervisor's time and ask if he or she has five minutes to answer a couple of quick questions about the position. The last thing you want to do is be a nuisance. So if the person is busy, let him or her call you back at a more convenient time. Then when you do have a few moments, ask pre-selected questions that will help you understand more about the work environment, the position itself, and even the supervisor. Remember, these should be written ahead of time so you don't waste time trying to think of something on the spot. The whole point of this exercise is to get a little extra insight and to get your name in front of the individual early. Now that moves us into actually going in for an interview. So number six is know what you're interviewing for. This may sound ridiculous, but yet again, there are so many people who just saunter into interviews with no idea of what they're even interviewing for. My husband sees it all the time. He's always astounded by how unprepared people are. And one of his biggest pet peeves is when individuals step into an interview completely clueless about the position. The interviewee then 
proceeds to waste everyone's time. Now, this is a really frustrating situation, and you definitely don't want to do this. So make sure you've researched the position and have taken time to dissect the job requirements, duties, and so on, so that you can answer the questions in an interview very specifically. Think about the skills you bring to the table that will allow you to be an asset to the company and how those skills set you up as the perfect candidate for the position. Number seven, be aware of your strengths and weaknesses. In every interview, without fail, there is the obligatory, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses type questions. While it may be phrased in a number of different ways, this is the moment for you to shine. Spend some time talking about what you have to offer the company that makes you the obvious choice of candidate. Then you want to be honest about your weaknesses in a way that does not make you look like a liability. Let me give you some examples. Instead of saying, I'm a terrible speller, say, I appreciate spell check as spelling isn't really my strong suit. Instead of saying, I'm OCD about organization, say, I thrive in a tidy workspace, but I'm not really a fan of disorganization. And instead of saying this, I hate people, say, I work best independently as I tend to be introverted by nature. Each of these things are weaknesses, but they are framed in a way that doesn't make you sound like a liability. Number eight, don't assume anything. You cannot assume the interview panel knows anything you don't say or that you haven't told them during the interview. You may have written something in your application or even in your resume, but you still need to mention it during the interview itself. This is especially important if you happen to know someone on the interview board or you've worked at this particular company before. They are only able to write down things you say during the meeting, and if you don't say it, it might get overlooked elsewhere. And then remember to not use the word etc. This is a bad habit people have when they get into an interview and they're nervous. But remember, the interviewers don't know what etc. covers unless you clarify it. So if you're not sure, just leave it out of the conversation completely. Number nine, answer all of the questions. Another issue that my husband sees frequently in interviews is candidates not answering all of the questions. For example, the interviewer might ask you something like this. Name some skills that you feel would be important to have to do this job effectively. And then tell us your strongest skill. Potential candidates answer with their strongest skill while completely ignoring the first part of the question. And truly, this isn't an encouraging start for interviewers because they want an employee that actually listens. So listen carefully to the questions asked and answer all of them as succinctly and thoroughly as possible. Now, what I just said might seem like an oxymoron. How are you supposed to answer a question succinctly and thoroughly? Well, think of it like this. You want to include as much information as needed to answer the question or questions completely without talking in circles and repeating yourself 53 times. You want to prove that you have a thoughtful answer, but you also want to be respectful of the interviewer's time. Number 10, dress appropriately. It doesn't matter if you're applying for a nonprofit, a grocery store, or a Fortune 500 company. You want to dress appropriately. Think about the old adage, dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. Even if the place you're interviewing for has casual Fridays and you happen to be interviewed on a casual Friday, you are not yet an employee. And so those rules don't apply to you. Think about how a professional would dress 
and dress accordingly. Here are some examples. Men could wear a suit and a tie or at the bare minimum, a polo shirt and nice slacks. If you come in with wrinkled khakis and a shirt that's two sizes too small, you're not going to make a good first impression. Women, you could wear a nice pair of slacks or a skirt with a modest dressy top or even a dress if you feel more comfortable. Leggings, unless under a dress, low cut or revealing tops, and bra straps make a terrible first impression. Remember, you will be the face of this particular company to the world, and they don't want a sloppily dressed individual representing their brand. And even the best resume is not going to cover up the negative impression a poorly dressed applicant gives during the interview. Number 11, don't fidget. When we get nervous, we do annoying things without even realizing it. We tap our pencils, shift in our seats, click our pens, or clear our throats because we literally don't know what to do with ourselves. But this is super distracting to the interviewers. That's why practicing with someone prior to your actual interview can be really helpful. You can simulate the interview environment, including paper and pencil on the table, to see if you have any fidget or annoying habit that will cause the interviewers to be distracted. After the simulation, the person can give you feedback on things you're doing well and things you need to work on before completing your interview. Number 12, show interest. It's sad to even have to mention this, but another thing my husband has mentioned that amazes him is how little people seem to care about the job for which they're interviewing. There have been times he wanted to simply ask the interviewee, do you even want this job? To avoid this, be forthcoming with all of the information you have to share and don't make the interview panel prod you for answers. This doesn't make a good impression. And since the goal is to land the job, you want to show interest. If you don't feel like you've had the opportunity to truly express why you want want the job. At the end, say something like, I want this position because I would like the opportunity to work here because and then fill in the blanks. Then mention anything you gleaned during your conversation with the supervisor in your pre-interview phone conversation. This may be exactly what they've been waiting for someone to say. Number 13, don't be afraid to ask questions at the end. In many interviews, you are given the opportunity to ask questions of the panel at the end. Be sure to take advantage of the time and ask any clarifying questions you might have. You want to make sure you've already determined the types of questions you want to ask before you you step into the interview so you don't forget them when you get nervous. You might even want to write them down and pull your note out at the end. This will allow you to show the panel how serious you are about the position and also give you the opportunity to ask any questions that you would like answered related to work environment, the panel's favorite things about working for this particular company, and even how long they've been with the company. All of these types of clarifying questions are just going to make you look like the most ideal candidate. Now, after the interview, there are two final things that you need to do. And that brings us to number 14. Send a thank you. Now, this is a really important part of the interview process. You want to thank the supervisor and the interview committee for the opportunity to actually interview for the position. This can be done old school style by sending a physical thank you note, or you can just send it via email. Make sure you're as specific as possible so that it doesn't appear to simply be some sort of canned response that you send to everyone. Because remember, this is just one more way for your name to stay in front front of the supervisor's mind. And that brings us to our last one, which is number 15, ask 
for feedback. After you have sent your thank you email, you will find out whether or not you were chosen as the candidate for hire. If you did not get hired, don't be afraid to reach out to the supervisor and see if he or she could give you a little insight into why you didn't get the position. Now, this isn't intended to be some sort of power move or anything like that. It's simply a way for you to determine what you could have done better. But if you're going to go to the trouble of asking what you could have done better, be sure to listen carefully to the feedback given to you. Then take the time to turn that feedback into better interviewing skills. And who knows, you may be able to use this insight to secure a different position with the company in the future. These 15 tips are designed to help you create an amazing career change resume and deliver an awe-inspiring interview that leaves the company begging you to work for them. You are an extremely enticing candidate, but it's your job to show these companies just how badly they need you on their team. So take time to create a standout resume designed for the position to which you're applying, prepare for the interview, and then arrive at the interview dressed professionally and confident that you are the best candidate. You can do this. If you know for a fact that you're going to need some help creating a standout resume and you need a little bit of coaching on how to be a good interviewer, I can help you. As a coach, I love helping my clients leave the classroom ready to begin their new career with confidence. You can sign up for a free 30-minute Zoom discovery call where we will figure out an action plan for getting you hired. Friend, I know you can do this and I am so excited to see how you apply all of these tips in your own life. And until next time, thanks for listening to the Classroom Exit Strategies podcast at happyteachermama.com. I'm your host, Jennifer Holt, and I look forward to serving you in the next episode.